Hello, everybody out there in New York Newsland. Uh, it's it's me, Alex Pulowski, and this is this is Kate Elizabeth. Uh, we are uh, hosting now episode thirteen. Lucky number thirteen. Maybe that's why we've been having internet problems to let you all in on the in behind the scenes. But now everything appears good. Yeah, Knock think... on wood. Um, so, <laughs> so we we perhaps it's perhaps we're being messed with by the devil, Kate. Because it's very possible. It's I just possible. want everyone to be able to stay tuned to this yeah. episode. Yes, uh, this is another one requested by. Uh, by our, our our boss, the wonderful Jimmy Van. Uh, hey, if Jimmy with... Van had an action figure, mm -hmm. would it be called a minivan? Uh, anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> I'm so funny. You are. You are so How funny. Dare and you. It, it, it makes it funnier when I no-sell your funniness, I think. I think that, I, I think that actually adds to okay. the joke. We do a two-hour podcast before this. It went two hours mm. and 20 minutes. They're not all going to be winners, no, okay? I'm, no. I can admit that I don't have 100% accuracy funny rate. Uh, no, nobody does. I thought minivan was pretty good. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was anyway. decent. It was decent. Um, uh, so we uh, re requested by Jimmy Van, uh, who requested UHF, also now requesting Stay Tuned. So I think he's got a thing uh, for movies surrounding weird TV uh, that came out between the years of 1989 and 1992. That's like Evidently. that's his that's his subgenre that he's into. His little wheelhouse there. I remember watching this movie many times over in the span of maybe eighteen months at that time. Uh, my my father was uh, was very good friends with a man who owned a video rental store um, called Video Express uh, at the local. Was it spelled uh, with just an X? No, no, it was the full name. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, they're, they're very swanky. Evidently, they, yeah. yeah, yeah, just very yeah. There you go. Timeless. Video Express and the logo was it was a train. And Video Express was written in the in the uh, in the steam coming from the engine of the train was all in like cloud Video Express. What was the logo? Um, and so, because he was such a good friend of ours, uh, he would like let us keep stuff that wasn't really renting for a long time. Especially if we liked it, there were no really late fees for my dad. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, and so, um, I don't know why, but my brother and I really love this movie. Um, and, uh, and we watched it a lot and, and I probably haven't seen it since then. So what, like 30 years, almost 30 years. Um, and I was watching it going like, I remember a lot of this, like by heart. And it just it, it, had, it had like all of a sudden like a switch flipped in the back of my brain and I was like reciting lines along with it, um, but like stuff that I had not 
The girl said, oh, my God, that's that. And this is it. And the next thing that's going to happen is this. And it did. And I was like, oh, wow. Uh, so it's weird to like go back and watch something that that like that you know, twelve or thirteen year old me thought was the height of comedy, uh, and now uh, in years, years and years and years, decades later, let's be real, um, uh, I can go back and go like, okay, this this hit, that was that was that was a good joke that still works, and then a bunch of it was like, you really have to be living in nineteen ninety two to get any of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I think that might be the movie's actual um, strength and also its downfall is that it is so dependent on timely references to get the humor of it. Um, and I'm going to go into a list of all the things they reference that are only of the era. And otherwise, if, you, if you're watching this movie and you, you were born in the early 2000s, you will have no reference what whatsoever of what they're talking about. Um, but the whole thing starts around is uh, structured around uh, uh, John Ritter, famous TV actor, beloved, um, and and his just being John Ritter ness, um, and the whole movie. What for whatever it works, it works because John Ritter makes it work um uh and i think that that's kind of interesting I, I don't know the movie even works at all without him um uh but uh it it was it's very high concept so what your your overall thoughts before we go in a, in a full um uh full description of of the film your overall because you said you you actually remembered part of it as well i did remember I don't know if I remembered specifics, but I remembered like the giant satellite dishy looking thing. And I remember the overall them just like going through channel by channel, which we'll get into. But I didn't really remember like specific specifics. I just remember almost like the feeling of the movie. Mm -hmm. And I immediately when watching it was charmed by the things that then were not yet stereotypes I don't think that are now of like the narration format and the trope of like the disconnected marriage and why mm. that that was of like kind of the stereotypical wife and the stereotypical husband um and the stereotypical family in a lot of ways and I did remember that there was kind of like I didn't remember it then but I remember later knowing that there was like almost you could if you wanted to read into something that might be more simple than this read into the idea of this allegory that like television is ruining people's lives if you believe that that's there like i know there are people that were like oh whoever made this felt like like people's family structure is being ruined by like modern then modern television right so I remembered like all of those things, but I didn't remember specifics probably like how you did. Right. I think that the other thing about. Oh, I was just going to say, this is another one where I think this must just be the time period. Cause I felt this way about UHF too, where this was not that long of a movie, but kind of felt really long because it was repetitious in a new context but nothing was necessarily like super advancing in the story for a lot of the layers that it built out because they right. were so 
parody dependent that I was like, this isn't that long of a movie, but there are parts where I was like, can we get on with it? <laughs> a little bit. Um, I think a lot of that is also the ticking, ticking clock doesn't work in this movie. Yes. Because um, they, they, we'll get into it, but the whole thing takes place over 24 hours um, ish. And, uh, and they will show you a clock that is counting it down. And in one scene, you'll be like, there are 19 hours left. And you go, okay, let me settle in. It could be like, and then I go, and the next thing is like, there are 12 hours left. I was like, what happened in those seven hours? That's yeah, a I'm giant chunk it. of time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm watching what's happening. What you are skipping way too much. Um, and so it feels like the movie is longer because it takes place over a a long time. Like if it's a if it's supposed to be happening in real time and you're watching it, it's 90 minutes, it's less than 90 minutes long, but it feels like it's longer because you're because your brain has to work to think okay well seven hours have just gone by even though it's been two minutes yes your brain all of a sudden is tricked into doing that it's a very odd little uh it's like i've read i read some article about how like your brain responds to a ticking clock movie or whatever anyway um the other thing we talk about with uhf was the idea of what tv was in the late 80s and early 90s and how it was transitioning into cable and satellite dishes. And um, because we lived way out in the country, myself uh, and our um, we we our little community uh, got cable uh, late, but we lived a good eight miles outside of that little tiny community. There was no cable that came out to our house. I don't think there even still is. Um, so we got one of those giant satellite dishes put up up on the uh, up on the roof. It is still there um, because the because uh, my parents uh, who moved moved out moved out in you know uh, the late nineties moved away from that house. Um, uh, it recently sold for like the third or fourth time since they moved and uh, for like an obscene amount of money, like three quarters of a million dollars. Like it, it's um, because there's, it, because it's also got acreage. Like it was a thing like my grandfather bought a whole bunch of land out in the middle of nowhere, uh, Oregon and uh, built his own house and then decided he was going to build one for his daughter and her new husband. Um, and that was, he designed, he was an architect and he ran his own contracting company. So uh, he and his four sons and my father built the house that I grew up in over the, over the oh course of gosh. one summer while my mother was pregnant with me. Uh, so that's where I lived. Like my, that's why I went, I lived my first 18 years of my life. Um, but anyway, so we had one of these giant, uh, satellite dishes and all the pictures on Zillow like or whatever of it still like it's still up on the roof like i don't know like you need to get a crane in there to take it off like there's a direct tv dish up there right next to it which i'm assuming actually does the thing but we had the so we actually had to hit the button and you could actually hear on the roof the satellite turning so it would go to a different thing it was crazy it was so the crux of this movie has like a different level of connection for you a hundred percent but yeah. the, the idea of a, of a satellite it made perfect sense because it was 
the 92 watch was we had just gotten it so i was like i was super into like like oh we, oh you're on the right you're on the wrong satellite dad you have to go to k7 or whatever it was um but so i knew all about this thing anyway so the idea of a big satellite dish that could pick up channels from all over the place because we would we would find random a random satellite that had stuff on it from korea or whatever like just random stuff because it's all up in the it's all up in the sky somewhere sure. so it's all there to be beamed into your living room so um the idea of that is kind of interesting because it it is again something of the era and by the end of that decade tv was not the people didn't get giant satellite dishes for the roof anymore you know what i mean um so it is kind of also trapped in its own little era um uh but as you said it does feel like an allegory for don't watch so much tv yes. um, uh, but at the same time the people who made this movie had to have watched hundreds and hundreds of hours of tv to understand how to structure the jokes so they make sense so these are people who were like, I really shouldn't watch so much TV. But I, I watch a lot. I watch a lot of TV. <laughs> I want to change my life and I wanted people to change their lives as well. Um, but anyway, this whole thing starts with it's narrated by the the son of the family, which is an interesting choice. Um, but he's like, man, this thing really ha this happened. It all happened one night. And they're like, and when I go back and watch it now, I go. Oh, so this this kid inadvertently tells me everything turns out fine because he wouldn't be narrating this the way he is if everything didn't turn out fine. Like we can assume everything turns out fine because it's a movie, but there's no chance anything anything really bad could possibly happen. Because there's, there's, they want us to be worried by the end that the mom is going to die or be trapped in hell or whatever it is. But that can't happen because otherwise the kid isn't narrating this like this. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think they chose the kid to try and leave that open of if it was one of the parents, you would know you would right. auto-complete the end of the movie. Right. But because it, he has this calm, cool, collected approach to it, you're yeah. you're pretty sure that, right. <laughs> that everything's um, fine. <laughs> so he tells the story of how uh, his mom is like a big-time ad executive or something. And his dad has, in his words, a suck job uh, selling a door-to-door -door plumbing machinery salesman. Like, he sells plumbing supplies door-to-door, -door, which even in the early 90s was not a thing. Right. Really? Like, there weren't, there weren't a lot of cold calling, hey, uh, I'd like to give you my card. Uh, perhaps I could come back when you're more available or whatever. Is your husband home, ma'am? Like, there's none of that shit wasn't really going on. Um, not nearly as much as it used to. Um, but uh, so anyway, um, he says, uh, he says the average American uh, watches seven and a half hours of television a day. That's true then two guys don't watch any and my dad took all of theirs which means that your father watches 22 and a half hours of tv a day i don't know when he sleeps but maybe you're counting the fact that he sleeps in front of the tv yeah he fell asleep happens. with the tv on yeah maybe that's it anyway um but he also has this little tube tv 
maybe in, maybe a 20, 22 incher. Um, and, and he doesn't have real good cable or anything. He just watches just whatever the hell is on, uh, which is what you did back in the day. Uh, but, um, the, we get a glimpse into the way that, that, uh, that nineties script writers viewed children in that they are magical because, because uh, every 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 screenwriter's got in his back pocket. Oh, he's a nerdy kid. That probably means he knows how to how to how to interrupt the broadcast of the local ABC affiliate from his bedroom. Yes, you just flip a switch here, turn a dial here, and you're in. Nailed and it's it. Just like that. Yep, yeah, that's the. And you know he's called. nerdy because of his glasses. His glasses. And we know he's incredibly perceptive because he's picked up on his parents' disconnected marriage. Right. And he had friends who had a disconnect, whose mm -hmm. parents had a disconnected marriage, and they went away to a place with a hot tub for a weekend and came back, and everything was fine. Mm -hmm. So he's <laughs> going to try and set up his parents to do the same thing, but that doesn't work uh, because the Supersonics, who are a basketball team that used to exist in the Seattle <laughs> area, um, uh, this is what I guess the whole thing takes place in Washington State. But uh, he says, um, I, I really want to talk to you, honey, about all this thing, but we're in double overtime. So could this wait? And so she's like, ah, I'm leaving you. And she throws a bowling trophy. Uh, she like, which I love about this. She has a full fast pitch softball throw. Yes. Which I love that like, there was a little, little, I don't know if it was, but a little detail like that's who she was when yeah. she was younger. Uh, but she destroys the TV, and I love. I always remember John Ritter's line reading of uh, what he says. What he's, the TV, like just the way he says it, like that was just great. The TV, like he wants to be angry, but he knows he can't be because it's really all his fault. Um, anyway, uh, she <laughs> she decides she's going to go out for a drive or whatever while he's gone. Oh, we should mention also the Sidon bombs. The Seidenbaums um, uh, get kidnapped, uh, <laughs> I guess, um, by the devil. Not the devil, uh, devil's minion. Anyway, it's a long story. Jeffrey Jones, um, uh, who is uh, just a, a, a very well-known, fantastic character actor from the 80s and 90s, who ran into a little bit of trouble himself. Google it. Um, not, not the best dude, it turns out. <laughs> Um, but he was the principal in Ferris Bueller. Um, he's just in all kinds of 80s uh, movies um, and 90s movies. Um, but he plays this guy, Spike, who comes and I have a, I have a wonderful offer for you, Mr. Seidenbaum. Um, and uh, the Seidenbaums get, we don't really know what happens, but the Seidenbaums, uh, she screams in the backyard, Mrs. Seidenbaum. And so um, there's a little thing of like, uh, a news report. No, no word of what's happened to the Seidenbaums who've gone missing and been missing since last Tuesday or whatever. Um, and uh, and and that's we just hear John Ritter watching this. Um, later, he say, "That's my neighbor. I know that guy." But he's watching the news report of them being missing for for a week and doesn't say anything or or even take notice of it. So I was like, "Yeah, that's all right. A little, little hole." Um, <laughs> So Spike comes and he's decided he's going to uh, offer a brand new satellite dish system 
um, with his awesome new remote control to uh, to what's his name? Oh, uh, Roy Nabel starts with a K. Roy Knabel um, and his wife, whose name Helen. That's right, Helen. Um, anyway, Roy and Helen. So Roy uh, gladly accepts this satellite dish because it is free trial, free of charge. Um, and it's a so, huge satellite dish. I will say as a door-to-door -door salesman, he should have probably been on guard for these sales tactics. And he's should've. not like the devil in disguise so much. He looks like a creepy dude who yep. probably is associated at best with the mob, at worst is an incarnation of, of the devil himself. Right. Like, right. it's not like, oh, what a wholesome guy, she, wolf in sheep's clothes situation. He looks like, I don't want this guy entering my house. Right. Um, but he does. He just walks right past him and sure Roy's does. fine with it. Because um, Roy, Roy, after she destroyed the, the, the good TV, he had to watch TV on the little TV that he uses to watch TV while he shaves. Um, he had to bring that down from the bathroom and put it up on top of the destroyed TV. Um, but anyway, a little plot point here that they just decided to clumsily reference. There are swords fencing foils on the wall and the, and spike who again is not the devil. He's just like an underling of the devil. Um, a henchman. Yeah. Uh, a devil henchman, a denchman. And so he, uh, he reaches up, takes a, takes a, ah, you fence. And he just starts, you know, swinging the sword around. I was like, well, I used to, uh, listen, what's this about a TV? And so like, this is a plot point they bring up, uh, later. And so it's the whole thing that Roy used to fence. Um, and so they, he, he gets the satellite dish. I don't know where I the satellite he dish was active in right. his fencing days. Right. <laughs> before TV took over his I life. don't I don't know where the satellite dish is supposed to have come from. Um, but it materializes in his backyard, and there is another guy, a, 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 I don't know, a maintenance dude. A guy who does all the setup work, who's there, who flicks the switch on 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 the satellite dish on the outside. Um, uh, Spike has done no work doing any of this, and we never see the other guy doing anything ever again. He's just he never referenced. He just I don't know why we couldn't have just Spike flick the switch, but we had to get an extra in there to flick the switch. I guess um, somebody's kid needed a part. Somebody's so, kid needed an under five in a movie. <laughs> yes. The uh, the um, the girl, the, the girl, the wife, Helen. Uh, Helen, Helen comes home and she's I got on her drive. And, and so she sees the giant new TV monstrosity. Um, yeah. In, in the uh, in, in the living room. And she's like, then she goes and packs a bag. She's going to leave. Um, and she comes she comes back and, and he was trying to, you know, through the channels he sees was interesting it's a, this he says these pick up channels that you don't normally get so you don't be surprised by all that says spike and the first thing we see first parody is a parody of of candid camera but it's like let's see what happens if we dress up bob as a police officer and tell this lady that her husband has died in a terrible auto accident and of course she reacts the way you would think and this is now Look over there. Huh? There's a camera. Oh, you guys. Um, 
And you know, like that's the first thing. Like, okay, that's a little weird. Um, but then the satellite dish conks out. And he say, I got to go adjust the dish manually because that's what Spike told him to do. So he goes out there and Helen meets him out there and she's like, I am leaving you. We're through. I want a man who would rather touch me than his remote control. <laughs> um, and, and she's and a then, babe, by the way. Oh, yeah. It's Pam Dauber. It's, it's, it's Mindy from Mork and Mindy. Gordon. Um, if she was good enough for Mork, she's good enough for Dummy. <laughs> Um, uh, so yeah, two, two like sitcom veterans who know their way around a script like this. Uh, perfect. But anyway, the, the, um, the satellite dish turns on and sucks them into it through some kind of vortex. They, they get in there and that's where we go into and we see what is inside hell. Uh, at least this version of hell, and they 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 actually they say they describe it in a way that makes a lot of sense. Like the man upstairs, not the man upstairs, but our man upstairs, the big guy, the real devil. He likes to he likes entertainment, and so we have set up this whole thing where we take these souls and we try and we we put them through the ringer, and he loves watching it first the channels and sees all this stuff. So all this. The hell vision, or what television, hell vision, um, is um, is like all these weird versions of, of everything else, and also these we get to watch actual people be killed, and I guess take their souls taken in the. So, but the other thing is that there is like we have to let them go if they make it twenty four hours. It's a little, it's a little treaty we have with the other side. Um, that that will allow to do that, and I I want to know who negotiated that for the other side, because that seems sure. really egregious. Like, wait, so now we'll allow you to just randomly select couch potatoes and and bring them to hell, and then and then try to kill them, and if somehow they make it through, then you have to let them come come back to the land of the living. Um, that seems like it really blatantly favors hell. It does. It feels like the other side got the short end of the stick here. Mm -hmm. But I will say he does specifically target people that are a waste of space. So maybe they're like, well, if they prove their worth, <laughs> maybe that's what the other side was thinking was like, yep. well, if they're valuable to society. They'll last the 24 hours. And there you go. Perhaps, perhaps. Um, uh, anyway, so we, uh, we see uh, a new recruit to this whole tv executives thing uh a guy named pierce black fella young um who studied uh, went to film school so he thinks he knows everything and then we have eugene levy who is a delight as always um and i uh crowley is his name and uh he's always smoking a cigar chomping on a cigar quick with a really terrible joke um and uh we watch as Helen and Roy are sucked into their first um, uh, TV thing where they are on a game show, like a newlywed game, but if you miss out, you die. Called uh, You Can't Win. <laughs> you Can't Win, which is, a, which is a basically a, a, a very uh, broad parody of game shows in general, that type of, that type of game show. Yeah, the like parodies, the dating game, the newlywed game, yeah, like the, all those The games. parodies get very specific very quickly, but this is very broad and fine. Um, so they're able to get out 
because um, uh, Helen answers a question correctly. It's like, uh, 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 which which of you has been seeing a former lover, Pam? Oh, no, no, not Pam. Uh, Helen, Roy, or Helen and Roy? And uh, Helen's like, I have, I understand, I know the answer because they're being held over a pit of snakes or something, and then we'll we'll fall to their death if they don't answer the question. So she says. The, the farmer's lovers we've been seeing are each other. So not only was it like, it's, it's a trick question and she answered it perfectly. And so they, they were able to pass, pass on and they get through it. And, uh, and so this really angers Spike because apparently he wants everybody to die in the first two minutes. Yeah, come on, yeah. man, play the game. And, uh, and it's like, like, if they have to get, this is where Crowley explains to Pierce um, all like this is a really great device of having Pierce there for Crowley to explain it to him because he's really explaining it to us, right? And I think that's that's a, that's a great screenplay device. I think it really works here. But he says, um, uh, like everybody says, Spike, nobody lasts this 24 hours. Well, not nobody. There was that one wiry Peruvian fellow who made it out, and I was like, every time I remember watching this thing, I'm going like, well, where's the wiry Peruvian fellow? In at 12 years old, 13 years old, I was like, you don't introduce the idea that a guy got out and, and not eventually show us who that guy was. I thought he was gonna be a guy who like like hops back and forth to like try and rescue other people. Like there would be like this other guy, and I they never ever ever pay it off. Not once, not ever. There's not uh, but I love the idea of the way that they describe him as a wiry Peruvian fellow, and then they never ever reference it ever again. But there was one person apparently who made it up. So Spike gets so pissed that Crowley even brought it up that he sends him into the TV world as well. Um, and it was also important that we got the explanation because at this point, John Ritter and Helen, don't, Roy and Helen don't have any idea what's going on in their oh, lives yeah. either. They do no. not understand that they've been no. sucked into a TV world where they're going to have to survive channel to channel. Right. And here's where we start getting really, really uh, narrow with our parody. Because the next thing they're sucked into, we hear a voiceover and a little uh, title card that says, Northern Overexposure. All about a Jewish doctor who moves from New York to Alaska, complains about everything, and freezes to death. And, and if you don't know, because there's no reason why you wouldn't if you didn't live in the 90s, there was a show called Northern Exposure about a Jewish doctor who moved from New York to Alaska and complained about everything. Um, and it only works, I think. Um, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't only work. This one actually doesn't only work. But it, um, it works a lot better if you actually know what they're trying to lampoon. Um, it ends up just being them trying to walk through the frozen tundra uh, until they find shelter. But they, before that, go into the wrestling match, don't they? Was that the was scene that second? Before? That was second. You're right. That's second. Um, that's the rest. They go to the wrestling match where they fight the Gorgons in Huge a mixed pop. tag match. <laughs> as um, as uh, Captain Lou Albano is the uh, the ring announcer, um, and uh, yes, and then and so the only reason that happens is because um, the uh, <laughs> Mrs. Gorgon. Uh, tags into the match, beats the hell out of Roy. So then Helen, because uh, it, it is a no-holds-barred affair, takes a microphone stand and beats her to death with it, basically. 
Yes. <laughs> and then she clocks a uh, male Gorgon across the face. Um, I, because it was Lou Albano uh, as the as the ring announcer, uh, which I didn't know anything about when I was twelve. I wasn't. I didn't watch wrestling yet. But I, I immediately spotted. Now I was like, oh. So were the Gorgons people that I would recognize now that I wouldn't have then? Turns out, no, they weren't. They were just big people. But it would have been great if they were like, you know, the fabulous Moolah and and King Kong Bundy or something. Such but, an no. opportunity for a cameo there. But I will say it was at this point, too, that like you get hints that Helen was the one carrying everything in this marriage. It was like at this point where I was like, this is nice because it wasn't just like a typical like honey you're watching too much tv she's like fuck this i've been doing all the work this in, in in every facet in this marriage to the point where she's the one who physically is the one bailing them out of a tag team wrestling match i was like that's actually fun to me yeah. because you get a sense of like god this guy was just so useless <laughs> it's it is so true it is so true um but she's able to to get secure the pinfall victory. Um, Not a pure rules they, match. Very different yeah. from what we watched this weekend. This is where um, we. Uh, this is where they. This is when they go into northern overexposure and they go in their thing and they and they, uh, moving walking across a frozen lake, and find a man digging in the frozen lake, and that man, of course, is Crowley, Eugene Levy who continues now explaining everything to everybody so that everybody at home also knows what the hell's going on. But he talks and tells them what the whole thing is. Like, you've got, you got, you got to jump from channel to channel, try and stay alive until the 24 hours gets out, and then you can actually go back to your, to your regular life. He explains that to them. Um, then a bunch of wolves show up, chase them into a shack, and that's where they spend, I don't know, 10 of the first 24 hours like it's a yeah. very long time that is there chatting with crowley um this is when the kids come home um by the way there's a daughter who's 14 15 uh could not be more uh from 1992 if she possibly tried the first time we see her she's wearing the hat that Blossom wore yes. um, during the during the opening credits of Blossom. Like it is, it is at one point she calls a bunch of her friends to come over, and like five young teenage girls come through the door, and four out of five of them are wearing hats. It is it is like Debbie Gibson full on like 1992 fashion. It's big, chunky, like overcoats that they're wearing. It's just it's crazy. Um, but uh, she immediately is a skeptic and hates her younger brother. Um, and the younger brother sits down to watch the new TV because why wouldn't you? Um, and he starts to notice, oh, wait, so this doesn't feel right. Um, the, the first thing that he watches is a, a parody of the Maxell commercial, which says, Max, hell, get it? Because the devil. But the Maxell commercial was it would it would it was showing you that if you were somebody who made mixtapes, which let's be honest, everybody did in the eighties, um, you had to buy blank cassettes so that you could tape onto. Some, and the Maxell told you that you should buy Maxell blank cassette tapes so that your mixtapes that you make sound the best. 
And they did this with a commercial that was very uh, iconic where a guy sat in a chair uh, in front of a giant speaker and the, the speaker was so loud it blew a scarf back in his in, in his blew, blew it through his hair or whatever um and uh and in this one this the speaker so loud that it blows his head off which is a great, comedy and like i was gonna say a great parody but it's like a pretty medium parody and again if you don't get it whoosh. Just like right. over your head if you don't know these very Just specific the, references. The idea also now of you had to buy the right brand of blank cassette tapes. <laughs> it's just a weird idea. Um, so because weird. I just it's I remember also like you had to buy the right brand of VHS blank tape because mm -hmm. if you were gonna tape something off the TV, it, it you don't want it to be all fuzzy or whatever. Um, so there were commercials for the right brand of of blank video VHS. blank VHS tapes. What a crazy time we lived in! Um, and and then uh, we get uh, he clicks through the things, and we get to a uh, a bunch of guys picking out paint swatches for the interior of their um, prison cell. And uh, and they, they they decide they can't pick this particular because it clashes with the bars, as and it, the 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 prison guard agrees it clashes with the bars, and then it says thirty something to life and thirty something was a television show that was on for like three and a half seasons. It I was had, very, this was right over my head. I had no idea it was, what this was it, like. It was it was an an adult contemporary comedy like it was just it, 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 i'm trying to even imagine what what you could even it was a dramedy um it was too too old for me like at the time like i i wasn't allowed to watch it it was on at like 10 p.m or whatever but it was all about these people who were like who were like going through early midlife crises or whatever they 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 moved to the suburbs like which they thought they were never going to have to do it and they had kids and like what what is our our lives are boring now how like they made a they made a tv show about people who thought their lives were boring and people watched it it was a really like um uh critically acclaimed show like was nominated for a bunch of emmys and stuff and but like if you didn't like it's it's so of the late 80s and early 90s that I don't think it existed past like 1994. Like it was just like, it was gone by the time. Like, but so it's just a weird thing. Like we're, we're going to trap ourselves in references to things that only existed during the time we made this movie is a very odd, like even like the parodies on like uh, naked gun movies or airplane, like they, they, they may have been like references to things that were happening at the time, but they still felt timeless. Like all those jokes, can continue on into the future yes. as opposed to this, which is like, if you don't know the show we're talking about, you're lost. Um, yeah, and even within 90 shows, some of these things are like still within niches of, they're not like right. the things from the 90s that you would expect kids from the 2000s to know, right? Right. The other one is that they do is like, they do a, a commercial um, where all the kids in the back seat are too loud and the parents 
just want them to be quiet. So please, here's the silencer of the lambs. And it's a muzzle you put on your kids. Um, That's that, flesh colored. That, that, yeah, that looks like it is the muzzle that they had Hannibal Lecter wear in the silence of the lambs. And it's a very iconic looking thing that he wore. And it, it's funny because, you know, your kids are loud and he ate people. And I get that like, the joke is there, but also it only like it works because Silence of the Lambs was the biggest movie in 1991. And this movie came out in 1992. And you know it if you watch the movie, but there's a good chance that now, 30 years later, a lot of people haven't seen Silence of the Lambs. And it's just a weird thing. We've, we've trapped ourselves into that thing. It's fine. It's just that it's, it is a. Uh, that uh, one I feel like a lot of people still know, though. Sure. That one I, I think I get. at least like the the facial thing, but you don't right. know in 1992 that that's gonna but be. They, yeah, but they don't make any decorator. references to to big. They don't make any references to Star Wars. Or Correct. Anything that yeah, was, that's that was popular a decade before this movie came out that people would know about. They don't make any references to the Godfather or anything. Everything is a reference to a to a thing that is happening right then yes. and there. It is a it is a very movie of the because a lot of parodies will make references to popular things that feel timeless because that way they'll hopefully still feel timeless in a decade and the movie will still work as opposed to this which is like we're only reference this is why it feels so much like the pilot for its own tv show yes like like as almost like it was like you because you can continue making timely references as you move through the every episode will be written a few weeks prior kind of a thing. And yeah, just, 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 yeah. And this is weird because like, I don't know why this comes into my head, but like if I wanted to make a, a Beatles reference, it would be their accents and their haircuts and whatever. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be like, let me reference things specifically off rubber soul and hope that people mm -hmm. remember that. Right. <laughs> Yeah. forward like it yeah. got way too niche within itself yeah um uh we anyway so they're able to uh escape northern overexposure and they wind up in a um oh but they have to leave crowley behind because he's being eaten by wolves and he says save yourselves um anyway so uh they they drop into a cartoon world they're a cartoon mice and they're being uh, stalked by a giant robot cat, and it's it's well animated. Like they're they're playing with the tropes well. Um, at one point, though, um, the they find a mouse a mouse hole which has the little the thing they they teach they they have been taught to look for is a little the little white noise static. Yes, um, th which is a thing also of the past. That's, That's what transitions that you from world to world. Yeah. That's true, channel to but channel, I should say. But also, like, it's a thing very much of its era. Like, you don't turn on a TV and see the white noise static anymore. No. But that used to be on every channel, unless you like, unless you had something coming through on that channel, it was always the white noise static. It's very interesting now that that's all gone. Um, but uh, so she's able to finally get away through there. But then the the um, the evil robot cat. Um, like uses uh, bolts of a giant piece of metal over the hole. So now Roy can't follow her. So he's left behind. He's got to find a way to get in there to get, get around and also not be eaten by this cat robot. So he says, I watched enough cartoons. How would, how would a cartoon handle this? 
and I actually think this is very clever. Um, he writes a letter to the Acme Corporation and requests that they send a giant robot dog because that's what kills a giant robot cat. Also, because it's a cartoon, um, the male is lickety split, like literally yes. instantaneous. As soon as he puts <laughs> it in the mailbox, uh, he gets back inside and the, the other, the, the giant robot dog is delivered. I think, I think that's, it was very clever, made a lot of sense. The giant robot dog and the giant robot cat uh, fight. The house explodes, but somehow underneath the couch where he was hiding is fine, just like in a cartoon. He's able to get through that, the, 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 um, the mouse hole after the mouse hole falls on top of him and he's able to get out of it because he's squished. He gets out, he gets out of that. Now, he has to find her because the little hole doesn't go to the same place all the time. So she went somewhere and he went somewhere different. And the place he goes is uh, Wayne's Underworld on Saturday Night Dead where a bunch of zombies are in the audience cheering for a Wayne's World parody. A well done Wayne's World parody, but it's very, like, like it's, it is so 1992 to have, like, what are we going to parody? Let's, let's parody Wayne's World. Um, and it's them as zombies, essentially. It's that, it's, yeah, yeah, it's Wayne's World zombies. And um, uh, with, with me, as always, is my, is my co-host Barf or something. Um, and uh, they, they just do a parody of Wayne's World as zombies until um, they do, oh, a, a red hot poker in the eye cam. And, uh, and he's able to somehow dodge it and the red hot poker un, uh, like burns through the ropes that have tied him to this chair and he runs away in, in through another thing and he winds up um, uh, in another area. There was also a scene in the northern overexposure thing where she said something to the effect of like, if we relied on your leadership skills, mm -hmm. uh, we'd be dead or, or something like that. And I was like, okay, your leadership so kills couldn't lead us out of a t-shirt. There you go. Okay, perfect. So I feel like at that point, because a lot of this is just like running through scene through scene, I was like, but at least at that point now we know the challenge that's like laid out for this whole thing is the, a test of their marriage in the long run. And like, mm -hmm. we know that the mission has been set as they're running through these channels that he's going to have to prove, which like barf damsel and distressy, but like, at least there was like clarity around what the mission was early enough that like mm -hmm. getting through these channels was going to be more than like parody joke, parody joke, parody joke. Cause it did start to feel that way a little bit. It, it, it did. Um, there's another one. Again, this is also the kid um, is watching the cartoon of the mice. They're talking to each other, saying Roy and Helen and their parents' names and uh, uh, voices. And so he gets his, his teenage sister to come and look. And she's like, what are you talking about? You're a geek. Get away from me. So he keeps on trying to like get his, his teenage sister to believe him. And she's so that, like, my parents aren't home and my friends are over. Like, that's, yeah, the, yeah. that's basically it. Um, uh, oh, also, earlier, he was going to take his bike to his friend's house and the, the dish ate his BMX. He was able to, to grab onto um, a post in, in, uh, on the back porch and it was, he didn't, didn't bring him in there. I don't know if you noticed this, 
um, there is a, a, a gaffe that really should have been corrected thir by 30 years from now, where there is a scene where um, the, the, the bike is lifted off the ground, right, by this thing, so, so that the wheels are spinning in the air. When they lift the bike off the ground, you see the wheels go up. When they lift the kid in the air on top of the bike, the way they accomplish that in the shot is they just have a crew member lift the kid up. That's how they do that. But they didn't crop the shot. So you see this pair of hairy arms lift a kid for like a like a split second. You can you can freeze it, and there's a pair of lift, lifting the kid like from from that mid to the to, yeah, it's very, I very funny. I missed it, but that's not like a small little, like, no. did you catch it? That's like no. someone's big arms just yep, lifting yep. the kid. Um, very, very, very hairy fellow working on the on the crew. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so he sees his own bike in a, um, uh, uh, like an old timey 50s um, TV show. So it is, it's very incongruous that somebody would be wearing, riding a 1992 uh, BMX bike in that era. And so that's how I noticed it's like, that's my bike. Um, it's like, you saw a bike that looked like your bike. It's not your bike. Um, like, no, but it's my bike, though. That's the thing. That's his, He's trying to explain to his show sister, and she won't. She won't get it. Um, there is a, a parody of, uh, there's, there we see. Two old men on a couch. One of them says, I can't feel my arm. The other one says, I can't see anything. And then the, the narrator says, different strokes. Uh, this is, it is, some of these things are literally three-second jokes. They're yes. just three-second jokes, and they just move on to the next thing. Um, there's another one where there's an aerobics instructor, but it's called the exercisist. So it's the exorcist. Uh, they're put by the devil. And they, okay, everybody, uh, that's it. That's it whatever your name is, feel the burn, and they spontaneously combust. And then, they, oh, everybody, head spins. And they do, they spin their heads around because the exorcist. Um, this just felt like they were like, we're not, there'll never be an extended cut of this because they left nothing on the, the literally nothing. The director's literally cut nothing. floor, yeah. Um, then they did a, uh, uh, a thing where um, it was a, uh, a commercial for a a non-alcoholic beer that you would give your son to drink so he could act more like his father. Um, and the son drinks the beer and crushes the can and burps and says, give me another one, babe, to his mom. And the dad says, ah, chip off the old block. Um, and the name of the beer they decided to make it was Yogi Beer. Because I guess... Yogi Bear is a cartoon, and kids watch cartoons. There's really nothing. That was a stretch. That was a stretch. That was that was a reach. That was that one was a reach. Um, there's a reference to a home shoplifting channel. <laughs> um, but the main thing is that now that um, they're trying to, uh, they get uh, Roy now, having left Wayne's underworld, winds up in an old. Uh, detective movie from the forties, and he's got to he's got to rescue some dame or whatever. And of course, the dame is um, Helen, who's made it in there. And they got to go to Club Seidenbaum. Now, earlier we saw the Seidenbaums, 
and uh, Mrs. Seidenbaum got stepped on by Godzilla. And Mr. Seidenbaum is now living large as the owner of a club in some Casablanca slash Maltese Falcon type of movie. Um, and he's brought his own remote control in there with him, and he's going to use it to give, zip between places. Uh, is And uh, there's a, a very extended gunfight scene where literally is everyone is firing in all directions at this club. <laughs> Um, uh, Murray gets one in the chest and bequeaths his uh, his remote control to Roy so they can get out of there. Um, but yeah, so anyway, they, they are reunited in that particular place. That is where you can clearly see that this is John Ritter and Pab, Pam Dauber. Uh, you can clearly see that it is Roy and Helen Nabel. And that is where Daryl, whatever, the young the young son is able to get his his sister to come into the room and be like, look, that's dad. That's mom and dad. Um, but the only way that he's able to get her to come in the house to look at this uh, is because she and her friends are preparing, practicing a cheerleading routine in the backyard. And then all of a sudden, the the satellite dish switches on and it's going to eat all of these teenage, teenage girls. And... Uh, so then he takes the hose and sprays them all down, and then they want to kill him. Uh, so they chase him into the house, and all the, all of her friends leave. Like I can't help it if my brother's a geek. Um, so, uh, so then she's like, "You," she says, "You're pizza topping," and I, I still don't know what that means. You're a pizza topping. You're pizza topping. Like you're dead meat. Oh, no. Is that is that like because that, that is what, what it is? Like is that what a pep pepperoni is technically dead meat? I guess. I guess I'm your gonna Google that topping. as as we talk because I'm intrigued. I don't know what I don't know what that is. Your pizza topping, um, but it's a threat. She's like, look, look, there it is. There's dad, and she sees that it is dad, and so now they're going to actually try and get them out of this thing. How do we get? How do we? How do we? How can we talk to them? How do we get them out of here? Um, um, so, uh, they, they escape from, um, from this thing and they go to a modern day TV movie about the French revolution, uh, where, um, where there's, they just, they just wanted an excuse for John Ritter to wear women's clothes, uh, because <laughs> John Ritter uh, is 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 cross-dressing to try and escape the French Revolution people from beheading him because he is playing the Marquis de Nable, but they say Nabel. Like, Nabel is a French surname, and they had a great opportunity to say, oh, look, it is he, the Marquis de Nable. And, like, it's Nabel. It's pronounced Nabel. Like, there would have been a really, there would be fun, like, like I I don't know who this Nabel is, but I that's not me. I am Nabel. Um, and anyway, they're whatever. Um, so here's the thing. Um, when they get to, uh, this final place where they are to, they're trying to wait out the 24 hours in this place. There are, I believe if I'm, if I'm, I'm unmistaken, at least 12 hours left on the clock. And then there is a scene of the kids 
in the house talking to each other about something and then the clock shows five hours and just, there's too much time gone by and then the five hours are there and the clock long shows, ass conversation and then the five hours are there and they've decided they were gonna they're gonna hang out in a bar in a, a pub in french revolution times france um and then the clock says 40 minutes like you could have really easily plotted this out so that things took place over a, over a better amount of time. But they spent like half the time in this one place waiting for it. Um, and and I don't, so much time in Northern Overexposed, too. Right. Yeah. Just so much time. Um, and eventually, uh, they're able to get the clock to run out. This happens because also the kid is able to somehow get enough juice siphoned from the next door neighbor who has a Rottweiler that wants to eat everybody, which is a thing that happens in the 80s. Um, and uh, and he's going to use it to talk through something. He actually to talk into the other TV world. And think about it, in the TV world, everybody who's an actor in the TV world thinks they're actually real people. It's not like, all right, cut. Who's there in the, with the microphone thing? Right. It's not that. These are actual people within the thing who believe they're part of the French Revolution. So um, here's a, here's a, here's a like, um, hello, Dad, is that you? And then um, Helen's like, oh, it's God. Tell us, what do you want to do? God is like, um, what do I say? Just tell him to let him go. <laughs> and uh, I did think it was funny how uh, French Revolution times, it's like, I don't know, late late 1700s, like um, the Enlightenment has happened. Like it's, it, is, it is the absolute actual, that's why um, the French Revolution happened is because he's the cradle of philosophy and people recognizing that they deserved better than this particular kind of life. <laughs> Um, so it's not like it's like medieval times where like let's burn her as a witch. Um, it is a it is a different time, um, and I love the idea that like yes, sure, no, any kind of uh, voice unexplained that has to be the voice of God. Let's let's all trust this woman. Of course, this is yes, one hundred percent. That's the way it would work. Um, so they're able to actually wait out the clock. Crowley is there, by the way. In the in the French Revolution times, he's missing an arm and a leg because they were eaten by uh, uh, wolves, but he's there um, and he helps them a little bit. Um, but also, um, uh, the, the the clock runs out. But there's some kind of weird loophole where they only have to let Roy go at 24 hours. Well, this he's was the one because... who signed for it, right? And they only signed for one soul. So that was the thing. They took two souls, but the contract that they had signed was only for, for Roy's. Yeah. Anyone who finds their way into the underworld without an invitation, is, is that's their problem. Fair game. Says, say Spike. Um, and, uh, of course, they are planning on having um, uh, good old um, uh, Roy come back to rescue his wife um 
when when uh, Jeffrey Jones uh, Spike shows up in in 1792 to take her prisoner, uh, he uh, knocks crippled uh, Crowley off the gallows, um, and he's dressed as like this weird um, lord with these flowing black robes or whatever. He takes her to a western, and he uh, chains her on the railroad tracks uh, to a big wagon uh, full of dynamite and says, the 310 to Yuma should be along any second. Of course, don't actually stop here. Uh, like, uh, he says, uh, she says, you're going to hit me with a train? What can I say? I'm a sucker for a big ending. So they have to find a way to get, the Roy allows himself to get sucked back in so he can save Helen. And when he comes out, he's supposed to be like a, a Clint Eastwood type with a big poncho and, and you know, the five o'clock shadow and everything. He's trying to smoke a cigarillo, but he coughs because he's a, he's a, he's a geek. Um, and so he challenges uh, Spike to a duel, but when he, when he draws uh, his gun is um, inside the poncho, and you can't <laughs> fire it. Um, this was like very well done by John Ritter too. Oh, like the timing of it was beautiful. He's, he's a, a consummate pro um and it was it was honestly it was in those days where if you worked tv you got pigeonholed into tv you weren't allowed to do other things um maybe you could branch out but you could never be like a the equivalent movie star that you were a tv star and that sucks because he he easily could have been a major star in movies but he was never allowed to be because he was he was a tv guy um and that, yeah, so it's just a weird thing. Um, but anyway, uh, apparently Spike shot him in the heart, or would have, except for he shot him in the breast pocket, which is where he was holding uh, his remote control that he brought with him. Um, and uh, I'm thinking to myself, so your whole plan was to get him to shoot you in the heart? Was that your plan? Because what if he aimed for the head or literally anywhere else on your body except for this particular place where the remote control fit? That was interesting. Like, all right, all right, this is how we're going to do it, kids. I've got a foolproof plan. <laughs> um, but uh, they're able to uh, wrestle for Spike's remote control. Um, and then this becomes like a rapid fire. Of things where he goes. He leaves the um, the Old West thing. He's got to get back there to save Helen, but he's got to somehow get back there because he has to leave. Um, they go to an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> like full on The Next Generation. Uh, he's bald. Um, he's playing Picard, but Spike is literally all the other characters. Um and this is where uh, I admire their restraint in 1992. Because he's playing Worf, the Klingon. Uh, and they don't do blackface for Jeffrey Jones. In 1992, that's, that is a victory. They yes. didn't do blackface. Um, so th that would, wow. I honestly, could have done that. Gotten away with it very easily in 1992. Yep. Didn't do it. Uh, good for them. Uh, but he's also playing Data. So he's like, he's all, all the characters like set phasers to torture. 
and uh, so they were going to shoot at him, but then he's able to to uh, get himself out of there by hitting the remote control, uh, and winds up in a commercial uh, for um, seatbelts, which of course is the old crash test dummies, which were these were live crash test dummies <laughs> um, on these commercials. Uh, and uh, one of them was uh, the voice of Lorenzo Music, who was the same guy who did the voice of Garfield on Garfield and Friends. So when I was a kid and all these commercials came on, I would always be like, that's Garfield's voice. I don't know why in my head, but that was a thing I always remembered. But you could look a lot from a dummy, buckle your safety belt. So it was just like this thing of like, they'd actually crash this, I don't know, supposed to be sentient live crash test dummy into a wall and he'd get exploded and he'd like, he'd be holding his own head and say, you know, you should probably buckle up next time, kind of a thing. Um, it was commercials for safety belts uh, in a very odd comedic way. And so that was who he was. He's in the crash test, but he's not wearing a safety belt. This is the, this is who he was. But somehow he's able to get out of there, and uh, and then he goes to driving over Miss Daisy. <laughs> Again, Jeffrey Jones, a very, very white man, is playing the role that Morgan Freeman played in the movie. Honestly, very easily, could have gotten away with blackface. Yep. Didn't do it. Didn't do it, and I still admire their restraint. Because um, don't. A, don't, never was okay, but at the time, people thought it was. Um, and so, uh, I guess, kudos. Um, but uh, he runs over Miss Daisy instead of, and then he backs up over her and does it again. Uh, and then he, that was, that's the joke, that he ran over her. Um, and then uh, they go from that. That's when <clears throat> we get the best joke in the whole thing, which is that John Ritter goes to an episode of Three's Company. Um, and he's literally playing the character John Ritter played in Three's Company. And then two two women come in who look like uh, Joyce DeWitt and uh, Suzanne Summers. It's not them. I looked it up in the credits. It wasn't them making a cameo. Um, like, where have you been? And this is the thing that freaks out Roy Nabel the most. He screams in horror. It's so good. And he <laughs> as hard as he can. <laughs> It's a great joke. Get me uh, out by of the way, here. If, if you can find Three's Company anywhere, uh, streaming it or whatever, if it's available on anything, for those of you out there who've never seen an episode, John Ritter, Three's Company, just, just the best. Um, uh, but now, again, that's one that they only made a reference to because John Ritter had played in it, because that's one that, that it aired 10 years before this movie came out. So right. they would not have done that. That breaks their rule. Um, and he gets out of that and he goes to um, a salt and pepper music <laughs> video um, uh, where he is, I don't know why, dressed as Prince. I don't know why, but he's not, he's not in purple. He's in, he's in yellow, um, but it's definitely a Prince cosplay from a specific uh, like Grammy award show or something, uh, but it's definitely Prince. Again, no blackface. Good good for them. Um, but he's, I don't know why he's dressed as Prince in a salt and pepper video, but he is. And the, the, the remote control keeps getting passed around from person to person. 
So Spike is uh, playing the uh, the DJ, and um, and he's they're both trying to get to this remote. Eventually, this is a long time that they spend here. It's the full the full length of the Salt and Pepper song that they wrote for this movie. And eventually, <clears throat> Salt and Pepper come into possession of the remote. <clears throat> and honestly, of all the little bits of storytelling that this movie does, this is the one that made me angriest. Because you have a whole thing of like, he's got to lead his way. He's, his leadership skills are, are what are supposed to get us to to him showing proving to his wife that he's can do this like he can be a, a real man or whatever um and it just ends up with salt holding the remote control and she's about to give it to spike but peppa's like no don't give it to him and salt salt's like fine here you take it and gives it to roy and then roy wins like he doesn't use any of his. He doesn't use any reasoning or deduction or or Not quick thinking. Yeah. Nothing. It's just it just so happens that Salt was gonna give it to Spike, and then Peppa's like, "No, don't give it to him." And it's not like they had an argument and and they and he was able to convince them. Actually, you should give it to me. Just Salt's like, "Here, you take it." And he does, and he wins, and that's it. There needed to be a, a moment where he actually proved himself in some way, and that's how he got custody of the thing that won the whole day for him. And probably, like, the biggest victory of that, right? We see all these little victories as he goes along. But this I forgot to mention, was kind the, of the climax of the movie. They, he goes into, like, an Errol Flynn uh, swashbuckling scene. And this oh, yeah. is where the fencing comes into it. Remember that one little tiny reference they had at the beginning of the movie? Like, oh, you fence. Well, I used to. Now, they, they, um, he lands in this, this movie. It's Errol Flynn swashbuckler movie. And Jeffrey Jones is going to kill him with his sword. And, you know, oh, no sword. Got to talk to that prop man, says Jeffrey Jones. And then the the kid looks up at the wall, sees a sword hanging there, reaches up and grabs it, runs out in the backyard and throws it into the dish, and it lands from the heavens directly Perfectly. into John Ritter's hand, and they have a fight scene, like a really tepid, like I'm sure they wanted it to be something like Princess Bride, but it's just like a really tepid little fight scene. Um, joke's on you. I was captain of my junior college fencing team. Well, co-captain. And they have a little repartee back and forth. Not not much of anything, really. Um, and then that's how they wind up going to Salt and Pepper after that. So that's 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 all. That that'll come in handy because the end of the movie also makes no sense. Um, but anyway, so he's able to get the, the remote and Spike tries to talk him out of it. Uh, how hey join forces with me and we'll we'll be great you should stick stick around or like no sorry spike you're canceled which of course means something else in today's society but he says and actually jeffrey jones is what a, yeah he is yeah google it 
Um, so, um, uh, yeah, anyway, um, he, he hits him and he, he gets, he knocks him into another dimension. So then he, uh, leaves himself to Old West, is able to survive, um, but they, they can't make the, oh, some of the technicians or whatever who are on Spike's side make it so he's not able to change the channel on the remote for some reason, but the off button still works. So they just hit the off button instead of yes. being hit by a train. They hit the off button and they go into the, to the real world and Spike's left there by himself. Oh, and the Rottweiler jumps over the fence and then gets sucked into the thing. And then the Rottweiler is there in, in, uh, in the, in the hell TV. Um, so Spike is there on top of the chandelier with the Rottweiler underneath him trying to, which will eat him if he gets uh, out of there. Um, and, uh, and then Crowley is inside a suit of armor and hops uh, over with an ax to cut the rope to bring him down. So I guess we're, we're supposed to believe that, that um, Jeffrey Jones was eaten by a dog. That is after his fate. all this. Yeah. After all this, he was eaten by a dog, even by a very angry dog. And um, and then the uh, the 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 resolution of this whole thing is my dad quit his suck ass job or whatever, and now he does what he loves, and and he opened up his own fencing academy, and and that's it. And I was like, you could have done so much more with the whole fencing thing, if. Like there needed to be like, you know, like she fell in love with him because she saw him win a fencing tournament or something. Yes. What? Is, like, there's got to be more about the fencing if the whole thing is like he goes from being this suck ass job selling plumbing parts to i'm a I'm a fencing instructor because it's what i i was what I was always born to do, but you have like two barely there references to it um it is uh it is kind of uh, kind of odd but and he also seems like a boring instructor because he lectures his kids not to watch too much television yes there you go ruin your yeah, life yeah exactly because she it's like what did you learn that move? I saw it in a movie yeah I don't watch too much TV blah 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 i also just feel like in general there was not an acknowledgement enough on the back end of how they didn't tell the cops they didn't mm. really acknowledge how weird it was at all they didn't really talk about the impact it had on its marriage like you should probably write a book about what you went through um make some money that way like it just <laughs> like, how i saved my marriage by fighting the devil in a weird tv land perfect um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'd buy it could have been a bob newhart it was all a dream situation like could have been there was just not enough like at no point did the kids the kids are smart enough to figure out how to infiltrate the mm -hmm. hell tv world but they never called the cops in this whole situation Although the cops no. probably like, could have done anything, but like they right. didn't alert a next door neighbor that their parents were missing. Like, oh yeah. By the way, as soon like as that. they, as soon as they enveloped the dog, yes, the satellite dish melted into the into the ground. Yes. Yeah. 
I guess that kind of closed the loophole. I think we're supposed to believe, like, we're not going to screw with those humans now that one got out. But to your point, the wiry Peruvian man had already beat well, the system. That's true. And then also this guy, the guy Pierce, the young, the young black former film student guy, who's always been gunning for uh, Spike's job. Yes. He ends up in charge. So I guess this plan still works now. Like... Like, doesn't it? I mean, the only person that got punished for this was Spike. Right. Because he let, he let them out and he got eaten by a dog, we're to assume. But, but like, wasn't the he also program already still immortal? Exists. Yeah, the TV still is there. Well, like, yeah, I guess like Crow Crowley's also dead. Like, Crowley's dead. That's the whole point is that like when he's in northern overexposure for too long, his finger just breaks off. Yeah. Because, but we see like, him later. Oh, the, he says, ah, oh, the, the cold is no place for a stiff. Um, so, like, they're all dead bodies, but they're not zombies, but they're not... It, nothing, none of it makes any sense. Yeah, really. it's vague. Um, it's very vague. Um, over the over the uh, the credits, the, the end credits that shows like, oh, the new fall season on whatever Hello Vision uh, 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 channel this is. And it's ju this just title cards and puns. That's it. Just says Beverly Hills 90666. Get it? Like, like that's the, the whole devil. thing. This is the, yeah. Uh, Golden Ghouls. Murder she likes. It's like a second grader. The Fresh Prince of Darkness. The 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 facts of life support. Um, uh, this is my favorite one because it is just so, everything else is just like ooh, it's this but evil, and 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 this is the one instead of married with children, it's unmarried with children. No. As though that's the evil version of Mary Will Children. And the last one I thought was funny was David Dukes of Hazard. Um, uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, that's that's the whole movie. Um, it, it 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 has all of these little little tiny parodies of things that only really exist in the early nineties. It's such an odd little movie. I, th I think some of the acting in it is very good. I think that Ritter and, and Pam Dauber do a very good job. Uh, I think Jeffrey Jones, you know, the man is who the man is, but he was always really, really good at this kind sure. of stuff. Um, he's very, very good at just being enough over the top. Um, to, yeah, to he make played it perfectly. Performance, performance bombastic without being, you know, outlandish. Uh, Eugene Levy was gold, of course. He's and such I honestly a didn't... scene stealer, but not in a way where it's like, oh my God, he's so attention grabby. Like he is yeah. just so in everything he's in. So damn mm -hmm. funny. Yeah. So damn funny. Uh I um I, I even thought the kids were not yeah. terrible. The son was you better know? than the daughter, I would say. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But that's uh that's about it. I mean, like it was it was fine. It was it it's I think that honestly, like if you're watching it in 1992, 
you're like, this is this is hilarious. All of these things are references to stuff that I know. But now it feels like everything's like even things that I know all this stuff, it feels very, very dated. Yeah, and mm -hmm. like I didn't feel like the payoffs were overwhelmingly funny. No. John Ritter is really the reason to watch it now. Yes. Now the, the that's you know. But I could watch the, John Ritter and stuff that's better than this. Oh. Yes. <laughs> like a lot. Watch three episodes of of Three's Company instead of watching this. Yes. They'll fly by. Yes. This, as we discussed, not so much. And not that long of a movie for how long it felt. No. Um, uh, it, it, it's one of those things where I think this is the first reluctant get the flick out of here that I'm going to throw. Because I did, I do remember really enjoying this movie at the time. And some of the gags are solid. Um, uh, but it really isn't a, it really isn't a good movie. Ritter, Ritter is, is, is very, very good. And Pab and Dauber is, 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 is very good. Jeffrey Jones is very good. So is very good. It just doesn't hold up, certainly now. But I, I think even at the time, I probably was, was, was judging it on a curve because I was 12 and thought I was watching something I shouldn't have been watching. Yeah, this just didn't really hold any water for me. Like, I was also born in the late 80s, so um, mm -hmm. while I understood a lot of the references, they weren't references that I have any nostalgic attachment to. It's mm -hmm. like stuff that I kind of recognized after, like even the the Maxell tapes thing. Like, I think I learned about that in an advertising class. Like, I don't remember that in real time. Um yes. And, like, the things that I did know, like, I did not feel like the Saturday Night Dead Wayne's World, which I do vividly remember, and mm -hmm. is one of the more timeless things. Like, I didn't feel like the comedic payoff was all no that great. So I, I'm pretty pretty easily saying get the flick out of here. Um, John Ritter's fantastic, but, like, you can just watch him in other things be better than this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely things you could watch that genre is better in than this. Yeah. So I guess this is our version of the two thumbs down, although mine is more like. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I want to, but I really can't. So yeah. You can, like, I think, acknowledge that it's not necessarily like. A great investment of, of anyone's time but acknowledge that if you have time to waste like it can be fun enough to put on in the background for sure yeah um it, honestly like if you were it, for some reason we're like um uh like if a movie was like a reverse time capsule or something or like you like whatever like you wanted to like go back in time and see this is a this is a pretty good one of that yeah mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, there's that. Uh, thanks, everybody. Please, if you would like to get in a request, kynchat.com is the place to go for Know Your News uh, requests for this particular show. Um, uh, that's the best way to, to get anything in. And Jimmy Van will let us know what you all have been requesting. We get a lot of people. We get um, uh, the the view counts on these not great. However, 
we have some serious fans who say this show is just right up their alley and it's so we do and they also the views deviate a lot <laughs> <laughs> do depending on what we do. I don't know that this one is going to like bring them all in. I don't, know I don't think a, so. I don't, I don't know. But hey, you know what? It's the boss. That's the boss up. says so, and that's what we do. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure when we'll get around to his third one because, frankly, I don't know if I have the stomach for it. Uh, Suburban Commando starring Hulk Hogan is not the way I want to spend any of my time. That's true. Uh, so, so this is on you, viewers at home, to get in some great requests into kynchat.com to put off me having to watch Hulk Hogan do anything for as Ever. long as possible. Thank you so much. Um, uh, and until next time, when we figure out what the hell we're going to watch, and uh, I, I send you a, a, a message on a Sunday saying, hey, <laughs> this is what we're watching. Uh, until then, get the Click out of here. Bye, everybody. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Click the subscribe button and find out what it means to me. Nah, that doesn't have a ring to it. But if you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.